Hello, hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman, coming to you from the studios of 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation and right across Australia on the Community Broadcasting Network. This program is run with the assistance of the UTS Business School, and each week we take a closer look at the numbers that make up the news. Have you ever considered what your life would be like without access to news on social media? It doesn't seem to be a great loss until you realise 55% of Australians access their news via digital channels, according to an April study by the Public Interest Journalism Initiative. On July 31st, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission introduced its draft news media bargaining code. Under the code, Google and Facebook would be forced to pay for Australian news published on their sites to help fund public interest journalism in Australia. It's been characterised as a Mexican standoff between the giants of modern tech and Australia's consumer watchdog. But is that necessarily true? And if Facebook and Google should submit to the ACCC's new guidelines, what effect could this world-first agreement have upon their positions in other markets around the world? Joining me today to go behind the Facebook wall is Dr. Ofer Mintz, the Associate Head of the Marketing Department and a Senior Lecturer in Marketing at the University of Technology Sydney's Business School, and Professor Glenn Withers, Professor of Economics at the College of Business and Economics at the Australian National University and a member of the Public Interest Journalism Initiative. Thank you both for joining us. the Australia Competition and Consumer Commission's draft news media bargaining code. It would see Google and Facebook forced to pay for Australian news published on their sites to help fund public interest journalism. So it would be a world first. It would set a remarkable precedent for the relationship between platform and content. So we'll begin the conversation off at its natural starting point. Can we put a dollar value on news content. Sure, if I could start that one, it's uh, Glenn Withers here. The complaint from Facebook in in, uh, particularly recently engaging this issue was that, look, this is just uh, open slather. The old news media can charge what they like, and therefore, if they're going to do that to us, we may indeed close down using uh, uh, Australian news or we may leave the country, uh, was the sort of uh, tone and and nature of their interjection. But in fact, the government and the ACCC could well put limits on any bargains to be reached such that this sort of extreme outcome uh, isn't necessary and uh, and a value could be reached for the the use by the new media of the old media's uh, public interest journalism. You say yourself new media and old media trying to essentially find a compromise. So do you find that there does appear to be somewhat of a culture clash? Uh, Certainly uh, there is. That is... uh, the, the old media evolved out of uh, print newspapers. It, it itself adjusted to the rise of modern digital media. Much of the consumption of it is online. And the uh, the social media is, is, of course, predominantly online and uh, just operates in a, in a slightly different model. One of the big differences, though, is that the, the old media has continued the tradition of what you might call intermediated treatment of information. It has editors who analyse the uh, correctness in terms of checking facts and and checking sources of of news and uh, 
it's that news that the new media just simply deploys at no uh, no payment. And we, don't, we, and in this case, the Australian public, doesn't want to lose that sort of news for just open slather as to anyone's opinion. Of course, we want people to be able to express their own opinions as much as they wish, but we do want that intermediated function to not disappear. And to me, that's the big difference of, uh, of the approach of the uh, traditional media uh, versus the new digital media. Another big difference too, though, is that with the newer media, so we're talking about the, the Googles and the Facebooks who are more aggregating stuff together. It's just also a different a- approach, right? For them, their main goal is not that, that you go to, you know, Sydney Morning Herald or News.com or whatever, what are the other papers, websites. Their goal is for you to go use Google or Facebook and then be able, you stay on Google and Facebook and from there you click on what's most relevant to you. So it's almost a different, it's a different game, but of course, and a different way of, of, of doing business, but of course that, that conflicts the to, right? You're in competition because for those companies such as Sydney Morning Herald and News, they want the customer to go straight to their website to enjoy the content versus going for Google and then eventually maybe going to their website. Oh. I would agree with Otto there that the, the particular distinctive feature of the new media is, is the capacity to personalize and customize advertising. Uh, and so the advertisers want to get at the particular nature of the products that uh, individuals consume, whereas the old media put out a one-size-fits-all uh, way of uh, presenting their information. And the, the overlap is there, but there's still that big difference between them. That means a clash of models and, mm. and in particular, ultimately, a clash of where the advertiser chooses to place their, their dollars. Previously, the dollars all went to the same advertisement in a, a newspaper. Now it goes to support the uh, the message going to, in a customised way to an individual user of the social media. And that's, for the advertiser, is often far more effective than the one-size-fits-all approach. And so this clash, of course, is coming about because of the diversion of advertising into the new media, and that makes it hard for the old media to pay for all the journalism. And Facebook claims that the ACCC's code misunderstands the dynamics of the internet, which seems to be something that we're already starting to reach into now in the conversation. So, Dr Mintz, does Facebook have a reasonable point here? Do traditional media sites misunderstand the entire concept of a personalised access to news? Uh, The news sites would prefer the customers to go directly to them. There is this struggle, and, and in Facebook and Google's defense, it's hard to, they are so intertwined, all their algorithms, that it is hard a bit to, to disentangle it, which, you know, that, that can be a different ethical question. But but this is where it kind of the, the clash is, is occurring, right? So it's not that the news websites don't understand the internet. It's just these trends are kind of going with Google, Facebook, and, and allowing these major players to kind of dictate the terms, which is scary for, for a company that is not not Google or Facebook. One of the tricks, I think, in this to add to that is also what the public itself understands as opposed to the major corporations on either side. You've got the, as it were, the elephants, you know, wrestling in the in the grasslands here uh, over their, uh, their business interests. The public itself is also an interested party here and each of the, the corporations involved on either side is trying to attract those uh, public uh, viewers, those public readers, those, those public social media users. And it turns out right now that if you survey current media use in Australia, they're almost equally used. That is, Australians use the commercial TV and radio and public TV and radio on about an equal basis with how much they use uh, digital social media. So the public wants it both ways. The public finds use of these uh, media, old and new if we can call them that, 
uh, appealing in different ways to the public. Now, demography differs a little, youth are a little different from older users and so on, but broadly they are of equal valuation by the public. The public wants them both to be strong and flourishing. But can a modern company who requires online engagement for its product to be effective, and and particularly in this instance we're talking about major news sites and particularly those with paywalls, can they really survive without Facebook and, by extension, Instagram? For example, the New York Times uh, has a paywall, considered a paywall, and their subscriber and revenue has never been profitable right now. Um, they've they've shot off uh, shot off the charts. Now, a lot of this is also due to COVID, where people are more interested in going to news websites. But because they have that unique content, customers are willing to pay a little bit more. And you're seeing this trend happening more of these paywalls in, in different countries. So, like I think the South China Morning Post, the one from Hong Kong recently just changed their their subscription to be a paywall as well. Some companies will be able to, right? You have to have a unique enough product, a unique enough content, great, good enough content that your customers are willing to pay for it. But, there's and this is a huge but, there's not many companies that, that will be able to do it, not many news companies that will be able to, right? Because also the other part of it is there's so much competition that's for free also. And this is where some of their complaints will go against Google and Facebook that I don't have to go to uh, a different company's website to, to read their content, I can just go through Google and then I can see the headlines and I can get some information without having to go through uh, to directly to them. And how big a role does credibility play in marketing or selling a product online? And do you think those same principles will apply to this? Coming in there, it does seem to me that credibility is very important. Uh, the uh, public interest journalism initiative that, that I uh, have done some research work for in, in our uh, latest survey in April, uh, and we have another coming up in November, but in our April survey of uh, media habits and media attitudes of the Australian uh, public, uh, what, what we found was a strong enthusiasm for, for public interest journalism. We, we interrogated people very closely on issues about entertainment and recreational use of media and so on. But in terms of what they considered the most important as Australians, they considered the the news, current affairs, uh, community and corporate analysis and commentary as absolutely more important even than their entertainment and uh, recreational functions. They wanted both, but they knew that one was actually crucially important and ultimately, at its core, important for our community life and our our democratic way. And... uh, they emphasised how much that did matter for Australia and Australians. And I think they wanted to see that reflected in both media, the the health of both media, and not to have that diminished by, as it were, the commercial imperatives of one approach only that may undermine the other. You can't blame the public. They wanted both ways. But the the catch was, when really interrogated, they were willing to pay for it. They said they would like to see, for instance, the convenience of the social media approach to accessing news, but have it funded in a broader way, say through taxes or through payments through a uh, you know, a bargaining code or whatever. But uh, instead of having to subscribe to 20 or 30 traditional media outlets, that aggregation that's available in the social media was very, very helpful for them. They valued it. They didn't want to see it go away. And they actually felt that... Uh, they could put dollar values on what it was worth to them. And uh, oddly enough, they came up with a figure of around 560 million to maintain the amount of journalism available or to enhance it somewhat uh, in the present era. 
How exactly did you reach $560 million? What exactly was your methodology to reach that figure? We gave the, uh, the, the, the sample um, a range of numbers as to whether they would be willing to pay, let's say, 20 cents a week, 50 cents a week, and so on, up to bigger and bigger numbers. They would say yes or no and drop out of the, uh, the numbers at some point. Plenty of people would say, no, I don't want to pay anything for this. Others would say that they would go as high as, as uh, you know, ten dollars uh, a week as an extreme sort of you know statement of their commitment to these sorts of things. So you then add up what the willingness to pay uh, is for these for the uh, population as a whole, as to what the maximum is they're willing to pay. And when you do that for the population as a whole, and you handle some some quite difficult little uh, answers, like when they say probably or definitely, you've got to finesse that to get the nuances right from standard uh, survey uh, methods. But when you do that, the best estimate was of about a 560 million total to to maintain and enhance uh, employment of journalists in the public interest arena in Australia. Now, that's a maximum. If they can get it for less, they're totally happy for that. But they're saying they'd be willing to pay up to that. And that was the level at which uh, over half of Australians felt they wanted that to happen. As you raised the amount beyond that, the half dropped away pretty quickly. And when you went below that, if they could get it for less, then even more, of course, would love it. But you got half of Australians wanting to pay or willing to pay up to $560 million totally a year for the maintenance of the activity levels of public interest journalism uh, in Australia. And if the bargainers can come to providing the present levels of journalism or improving on them at lesser cost, then the public, of course, would be delighted to uh, have to pay uh, less. But let's be clear, the public's got to pay one way or another. It pays uh, somewhat through taxes for the national broadcasters, and it pays through the advertised products for the old and new media or through direct subscriptions, of course, pay TV and the like. One way or another, uh, the public is paying um, there's no such thing as a free lunch. The public is paying, and that's what they think a component of this within the media is worth to them uh, by the best methods we know how to uh, access through survey methods by sort of well-attested methods that have been invented actually by some uh, economics Nobel laureates who had to come up with uh, ways of estimating the value of environmental amenities and so on. And this is now applied in social areas like journalism and culture. Hypothetically speaking, if an agreement was not to be reached and if Facebook were to dig their heels in, what would potentially happen to the advertising structures of those traditional news sites? It's a tough question, right, because you're disentangling probably one of the primary routes that I would say more casual readers access news. Um, So again, the news sites themselves right now do a pretty good job with getting advertisers uh, in terms of their structure there. They have different types of, of offerings, different types of rates. You can still target customers by, or slash readers by demographics, interests, et cetera. And so, so they're, they're using some of those tools. Although again, the, those numbers were a little pre-COVID and it, although the readership has gone up, their uh, actual revenues have gone down a little bit. So that part they're, 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 they can handle, you know, and they can obviously do, do better, um, but it's more that casual 
the casual reader who gets to their website, right? So not someone who reads that same newspaper every day, who doesn't always go to that exact same one. This is where the, the intermediaries like Facebook and, and Google are so, so important to them. And so that that's where the structure is. It's more of those, again, the, the starting point for a customer. Could I add a nuance to that, which is so much of this, of course, is dominated by the, uh, the big media. It's uh, News Limited and Channel 9 and it's uh, Facebook and Google and so on. Those uh, big elephants in this field that are dominating. A nuance that gets lost in that is when you ask the public about which news they really are most concerned about and, and want to see uh, uh, most maintained and, and, and are they worried about the diminution that has been taking place in the last uh, few years especially, it's actually things like uh, community news and local news, regional news. It's what's going on in the courts. It's uh, what the local council decision-making is like. It's uh, which businesses are opening up or closing in their areas. And uh, this sort of local information that, that grounds Australians in their community, but local, municipal, regional news is being lost. And a crucial issue with this whole bargaining process is, well, if that's what the public interest really is and that's what the public wants, will the bargain cater to that or will it still just cater to the most convenient way of getting profits at least cost for the, the major players? And so there may be a need within the bargaining, if it itself uh, could lead to a way of supporting public interest journalism at the community level, uh, through the bargainers themselves, recognising, hey, look, the public is increasingly not trusting us we big guys are actually under scrutiny because we're not seen to be doing the best for the community. The sort of monopoly that is now held over a lot of regional news in Australia, do you think that that gap is naturally, at least on social media, going to be filled by citizen journalists who, even with the best intentions, can make that distinction between consumer and journalist, between credible source and just individual with opinions, very opaque for the average individual online. Do you think that that's potentially a danger here, is that as much as we do want verifiable news on social media at a cost, there's also a chance that should the major elephants, as we say, leave social media, then that vacuum will naturally be filled by sources that may not necessarily be as benevolent. It's already happening, right? And so this is part of the decline, one of the main reasons for the decline in regional and local newspapers. And I wouldn't say just in Australia, you can look at any country in the world and the same thing is, is occurring. Part of it is is there's just not enough you know, money and competition has increased, right? So there's not enough money to, to uh, provide the quality that, that some customers want. And the other thing is timeliness, right? And so you're having citizen reporters, or I would call them reporter citizens, just kind of saying, "Oh, this is this this is occurring now. You know, why is happening right an hour from now, etc." And all this is building up before a reporter can even get there. And so a lot of local news is coming from from these social medias. Now, of course, that breeds all sorts of issues, right, with disinformation campaigns and and accuracy, et cetera. But this is this is the trend, and that, that's one of the main hindering factors for, for these regional and local news sites. And there could be, though, an intervention that may well uh, not just leave this as an open slather, but rather for a, a significant fund set aside out of the bargain that would go to community journalism uh, and have certain criteria for eligibility. And the criteria would be uh, a significant number of trained journalists uh, 
operating independently of ownership and so on. That is, you'd put down a range of conditions that would guarantee that even small-scale public journalism would still be uh, of um, a standard that people would recognise is different from just uh, the uh, instinctive opinions of, of, uh, of, of anyone who wants to declare themselves uh, interested in an issue. So there could be filters that would uh, differentiate this media, the public interest community media, from the... Uh, the large corporate mass media, uh, but still have important standards that would brand it uh, as, as a slightly different niche of the market that people would have more confidence in than just uh, the person next door's opinion and different from uh, the big corporations. So we could create, with the government funding, a, a way of supporting those, those smaller uh, activities at some reasonable standard of professionalism. One thing I want to add, though, is the is just to give Facebook and Google's perspective. And one thing that why they're fighting so hard against this is what they're worried about. Like everything that Glenn mentioned, it would be brilliant, right? You can see the idea. You can see the the uh, the reasoning. You know the benefits, etc. It doesn't seem like it'd be that much of a cost in general. But one of the reasons they're fighting so hard is they're worried about precedence for around the world, right? So they're not thinking of it as just an Australia problem that, you know, may have this issue and is maybe not, not that hard to fix, or maybe it is a hard to fix, but that's one, one thing. What they're worried about is this just opening up in their eyes a Pandora's box. And now they have a hundred countries that they have to deal with a similar issue. And that that's what's freaking them out, right? So don't forget the scale of these companies. And then this means they have to change huge chunks of their of their operations. And so this is why they're fighting so hard. And this is why when you go on Google, for example, you're seeing a little alert saying this may change the, the way you search or YouTube has a little alert as well. And so this is their perspective of why, why this is such a big deal for them. Is this a doomsday scenario for Facebook in the sense that they've been able to run this model for so long without any sort of consequence? And now, as you say, it would be a world first. It would be a precedent across the world. Australia's a respected country on on the international scale. It would be a perfect example to take Facebook to the, well, as many people are saying, at least in the media, take Facebook to the cleaners. Do you think that there's value in that statement and, and potentially a real possibility. I wouldn't call it the cleaners. They're, they're both Google and Facebook have plenty of profits. I think it's so much money that it's not going to take them to the cleaners, but it is, it's a discomfort, right? And it's a, it's a big discomfort more on the operation side that they're going to have to start changing a lot of things. And it's more of the worry of what, what else? So they've been doing so well for the last 10 years, so dominant that for them, they want the status quo as much as possible, that they can do what they basically have wanted within the, the you know, the lines of, of the law. They're dominant, right? They're profitable. They're making a ton of money. They have a lot of power. And so for them, any change and any threat of change in the future is very scary. On that particular topic, I know it may sound simple and even foolish to ask, but how do you see this ending? With a lot of lawsuits is what I see. Um, I don't think it's going to be simple. I think Facebook and Google are going to fight it for a while, and then a lot of the news corporations will also fight it. And so I see it being a bit messy over the next couple of years. It's certainly going to be messy, and I'd agree with that too. Uh, And, of course, as we've just indicated, uh, there'll be a a, a huge fight. the danger for, I think, some of the uh, the digital giants in particular is they might fight too hard. That is, if they deliver on uh, threats, for instance, to not use uh, news or to uh, leave the country, 
they might find new entrants. It, it'll be uh, messy for a while, but other platforms will arise that will be willing to uh, pay for some news. So they will have forsaken a market. If they're far-sighted enough to recognise that danger, then they might come to a reasonable settlement that will uh, make for, in the public interest, a healthy public interest journalism scene that is part of their activities and old media activities and that the public actually welcomes and respects, in which case their own business may well be benefited instead of them being untrusted and, and seen as the source of fake news, etc. They could use this as an opportunity to buttress their businesses and give those platforms a much sounder basis by uh, being reasonable and respecting the public more than they tend to. We often talk about social media as the great equaliser, a rich bed of soil for citizen journalism to prosper in. Yet today's conversation has made clear Aussies are willing to pay for their news to the tune of $560 million, according to the Public Interest Journalism Initiative's research. Clearly a sign we haven't lost sight of credible news sources in the age of the citizen journalist. Facebook may argue that this new media bargaining code will break the bank for the world's fifth most valuable company. And if so, it will serve as a precedent the world over for Facebook to share more of the spoils. And if news will be the downfall of Facebook, the French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre said it best, better a good journalist than a poor assassin. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Think Business Futures. Make sure to catch the full show online wherever you get your podcasts. And no matter where you are in the world, stay safe. I've been your host, Max Tillman. I'll see you again next week.